morning we continue to read from Luke's gospel. This morning, 13th chapter, beginning in verse 10, Luke tells us, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the Word of God for the people of God. We have a situation this morning from Luke where he tells us of a woman showing up at the wrong place and at the wrong time according to the traditional Jewish practice, the Jewish study being segregated by gender. She shouldn't have been there. It was clear to everyone that at certain times and certain places, genders were separated. This study in the synagogue was one of them. And yet she wanders in. Or maybe she came on purpose. It's hard to know. Luke doesn't tell us. But not only was she a woman coming into a place that should have been all males, according to their tradition and their law, but she was crippled. She was bent over, Luke tells us which at that time would have meant that for them, they would have assumed that she was possessed of a demon or an evil spirit. And yet she comes walking in. Typically, she would have been told to stop, and they would have gotten her out of there. But Luke tells us this story this morning where Jesus responds in an entirely different way. Now, you may think this doesn't apply to us. I mean, we have women in the sanctuary this morning all around us. We study together in our Bible studies and our Sunday school classes. We have women clergy who help lead our churches. So you might think, why are we even going to talk about that? But let me suggest to you that perhaps we still have some work to do. Roberta Bondi is... A professor emeritus at our Candler School of Theology. She taught church history for years. She has written several academic books. She wrote another book called Memories of God. I've put the title in your outline. It tells of her own crippling experiences, many of them, unfortunately, in the church. She grew up in our churches, attended one of our colleges, went on to seminary. She was a bright young lady, but she tells of in the book about the kind of experiences she had where she always felt like she was just a little ostracized, like she wasn't 
quite right, mostly because she was female. She tells of one particular day where she was in class, mostly men in the class, but she had been accepted. She was in the seminary. There was a male professor telling them all about the national and political experiences of the particular church history period they were studying when she raised her hand. And she said, do you know anything about the everyday life of people in that period? And he kind of dropped his arms and said, oh my gosh, just like a woman. No wonder women can't think. They're never interested in the big picture, the really important things. They always want to know about feelings. Well, I tell you what, if you want to know about feelings, why don't you go home and read a woman's magazine? And the class began to burst out in laughter. She said it was terrible. But she hung in there. She graduated from seminary. She was accepted for graduate study at Oxford in England. She went there to study, but she said in some ways it was more of the same, that she just felt like the kind of questions she had and the things she was interested in weren't really valued, and she began to really question herself and her call into ministry. And she said, I even began to question my God who was always represented as male, and I began to wonder if maybe I had misunderstood all of this. She said, I was close to mental and physical exhaustion. I was about to have a nervous breakdown when one of my professors noticed how frazzled I had become. He talked to me and said, I think you should get away. You need a little respite time. There's a convent not far from here. If I arrange for you to have a room and a bed for the weekend, would you go? She said, I would love to go. And so she got on the train and went to the convent once he had arranged that. She said, I was so tired. By the time I got there, I fell onto the bed, fully clothed, in my coat, in my scarf, and went dead to sleep for hours. Was only awakened with a persistent knocking on the door, knocking, knocking. She talks about waking up sort of in a fog, saying, come in, as she tried to remember where she was and what was going on. And she said, the most remarkable person she had ever met walked into the room mother jane the mother superior at the convent she said she just you could just tell by the way she walked she was somehow different she had an air about her of peace and and yet of power she seemed to know who she was and her place in the world and what was going on and she said she had never really seen a person like never really even imagined that there could be a person like that in the world and she said mother jane walked over to her and she said did you just embrace me and she said i just sort of stood there and then she kissed me and roberta bondi says i just began to sob she said tears were just flooding down my face i was just heaving and mother jane just held me until i calmed down a little bit and then she said dear can you tell me what is wrong and she said she began to sort of gulp and try to catch her breath and tell her what had happened and all these terrible experiences and she said after I told her all of it she helped me understand that I was a child of God and that God had given me gifts and it might be difficult, but I should always use those gifts to the fullest. Even if my mind worked differently than my professor, she said, that's a gift, and use all that you have been given. She said she had such a presence about her, I began to believe her. Because she knew 
that God had created her and given her these gifts of mind and heart, she helped me begin to believe it might be true in my life as well. Use your gifts to the fullest. She took back with her to her study. So is this text too remote, too ancient, too outdated? I think not. I'm afraid we're still trapped so often by traditional roles and our own fears and our prejudices that we exclude people sometimes when we don't even mean to, that we marginalize those because they might be different from us, that we discourage folks from having a relationship with God sometimes even when we don't realize it because of our fear and of our attitudes and because of our prejudice. But Luke tells us this story and gives us some help. He tells us what Jesus did, that he was teaching, but when the woman walked in, he stopped. Because Jesus sees the crippled woman. Jesus sees the crippled, bent-over woman as if she's carrying this heavy burden. And rather than shutting her out, invites her in. Luke tells us in verse 12, that part of the story saying when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And you would think that all rejoice, but not the leader of the synagogue. Luke says he was incensed. He was indignant is the word that the New Revised Standard. He, he couldn't stand it. He's like, oh, no, you're breaking all the rules. This can't be so. You can be healed some other time. And then he tells us in verse 15 that Jesus, in a sense, is incensed and says, you hypocrites, and again an exclamation point, are you noticing a trend here? Jesus is passionate about what God is doing in the world, and every week as we read through Luke's gospel, you hear Jesus speaking with great passion. This time he says, you hypocrites, and then he begins to talk about how you take care of your animals, and yet you would exclude this woman. How can that be right? Jesus heals her and frees her by his action, but also by proclaiming that it is the rightful nature of things. In other words, he's revealing that it's this way, this healing, this acceptance, this invitation in, that would be God's will, even if it violates the accepted standards of the day. As it happens, there was a father and a son out one afternoon taking a walk through their neighborhood. They're going by the park where kids play, and they see a group of boys playing baseball. The son says to his father, do you think they will let me play? The question comes because this boy's brain was not wired quite the way that most children are, so he had difficulty running with fluidity. He had diff a little difficulty playing with the other children sometime and so he had experienced being excluded when other kids realized that he wasn't the fastest runner that he wasn't the best kicker or batter they would set him aside and so he says to his father do you think these boys would let me play the father says I don't know but he recognizes one young man who's playing with them the father goes over and says to him do you think my son could play in the game today the young boy's not sure 
what to do. He looks at the other boys who are playing for some guidance, for some direction. They all stand still with blank stares. He looks back at the man and says, Well, I guess he can play. We're losing by six runs. It's the bottom of the eighth. We're probably already done for, so maybe if he wants to be on our team, we could put him up in the bottom of the ninth. The boy is ecstatic. The father is overwhelmed with joy. They move over and get in the dugout waiting their turn. Well, the team scores three runs that inning. They hold the other team scoreless in the top of the ninth. In the bottom of the ninth, they score a couple of more runs. There's two outs, a couple on base. They just need one more run. If they get both of the runners in, they win the game, and the father can see that this is not going to end well for his boy. He feels sure they're not going to invite him up to the plate. But sure enough, this young boy who had said that he would get him up signals him on out to the plate and hands him the bat. You can tell just the way the boy gets a hold of the bat, he doesn't really know how to play baseball, that he's not really going to be able to hit it. But the pitcher seems to sense what's going on, and he moves a couple of steps closer and throws the ball a little bit easier than usual. The boy swings. He almost drops the bat. He misses the ball completely. The neighborhood boy that had said he could play goes over to him, helps him get the grip on the bat, helps him get it a little more secure. In fact, goes behind him and helps him hold the bat. The pitcher seems to really be understanding now what's going on. He moves a couple of steps closer, and he lobs underhand a soft pitch, and the two boys swing the bat together, and they hit it, but not very hard, just a soft little grounder to the pitcher who picks it up and starts to throw it to first base. He could have easily thrown the first base and the boy would have been out. But instead, he rears back and he throws the ball as far as he can over the head of the first baseman and the dugout erupts, run to first, run to first. And the boy takes off as fast as he can, lumbering toward first base. He's never made it to first before, but by golly, he's going to make it today. And he hits first and he just rounds and heads for second. I mean, this is the day. The right fielder picks up the ball. He's figuring out what's going on here and that maybe this is a good thing. So instead of throwing it to the second baseman, he throws it as hard as he can over the second baseman's head, clear out in the left field. And the kids in the dugout are going, run to second, run to second. He hits second, heads for third. By now the whole field is getting into this and the shortstop says, come on, let's run to third and starts running with him. The other two kids have scored. The game has been won, but by now everyone's coming in. They understand this is a great moment, and the whole team from the outfield, from the dugout, everybody's running together. They get to home plate. The kid scores not only a home run, but winning hit. The kids, in their exuberance, pick up the young man. This is a true story. Put the kid on their shoulders as if he's the hero of the World Series. It is a great day for the boy and his father. I do not think that it is overstating it to say the kingdom of God had come on earth as it is in heaven. At that moment, I think God was smiling. Limits transcended. Fear overcome by loving kindness, healing and hope and freedom offered to someone again on that afternoon.
Oh, the Father and the Son were ecstatic and experienced healing, if you know what I mean, in some very important ways. But not only were they freed in some ways, but notice so were the boys who would have normally excluded the young man. They were free to celebrate and to participate and to play and invite others in to the game. Whenever we exclude because of our fear and prejudice, we remain bound. Do I have my phone with me? <laughs> okay, it's not my agent. Whenever we exclude because of our fear or prejudice, we remain bound. That's sometimes a hard lesson to remember when we think we're protecting ourselves, when we're keeping things right, that somehow we may be the ones that are bound by our fear and our prejudice and the roles that we've become locked into. Maria Harris writes about a woman named Regina that she met one day. Regina went to a Roman Catholic parish. Primarily African Americans attended there, but they became known for moving liturgies. She liked liturgy and sort of high church experiences, so she began to go there. She found a place there that felt like home to her, and before many months had passed, it was about time for the Holy Thursday service in the spring, and the pastor came to her and asked her, would she be willing for him to wash her feet as one of the first 12 that would come in the Holy Thursday service and have their feet washed? He said, I, I want to kind of help the congregation be all right about this. This is not something we normally do, but I want them to participate. Would you help me with that? Regina said, sure. They came, they began the service, it came to the time in that service where the twelve came forward and were seated there on the front pew and the pastor, the priest, began to wash their feet. He got to Regina, washed her feet, dried them, and then in something she did not expect, before he let go of her feet, he looked up at her, looked her right in the eye and said, Regina, I am so sorry for what so many of us who are male have done to so many of you who are female in the church, I ask your forgiveness. She said she was stunned. She said tears began to flow. She wasn't sure what to do. She couldn't speak. She finally just shook her head. And the priest went on. She said, I, I just sat there. I was supposed to return to my seat, but I couldn't move for a while. And then she said, it came to me that I could participate in another way. She said, I stood and turned around to the next woman in the line and said, may I wash your feet? And the woman said yes and sat down. She knelt and began to wash her feet. And as she dried them, she looked up at this woman. Regina was a white woman. This was an African-American woman. And she said, I am so sorry for what so many of us who are white have done to so many of you who are black. I ask your forgiveness. I believe the kingdom of God had come on earth as it is in heaven in that moment. Limits transcended fear 
replaced by loving kindness, prejudice being washed away, God renewing us in the very image of Christ, God's love abounding and spreading among us. The good news is that God has flung open the door wide to healing and freedom through Jesus Christ. God is at work in our lives and in our midst to break down those barriers that harm people, that exclude people and keep them out of the family of Christ. God's love is inviting them in, and what we need to look at is are we helping that or are we hindering that? Luke paints into his passage here two responses that happened that day. It says the woman, once healed, stood up straight and began to praise God, and all the people rejoiced. Well, at least all the crowd. The second response is the leader of the synagogue. He was still complaining. He was still complaining. He didn't like what was going on. He was trying to stop this. The woman has been set free. The man is still bound. How about you? Have you allowed Jesus Christ to set you free? To help you overcome? your fear and your prejudice? Are you asking God to use you to overcome some obstacles and some barriers and to let God build a community of faith across this community? How about you? That's the real question. Have you been set free in Jesus Christ? Amen.